0: Welcome once again to Lato's Law. Here's Steve Lato. A few years ago, I used to get phone calls about a place in Michigan that bought vans and um, outfitted them for people who had various needs with disabilities, like wheelchair lifts and so on. And then they'd pay for these things and never get them. And um, I filed a couple lawsuits. And unfortunately, the company we're going after went out of business, bankrupt, and, and was almost uh, just a gigantic wasted effort uh, to try to get the money back. But, but, here's another one that just hit the news, and this one is scary because sometimes you wonder about people and the scams they pull, and you look at it and go, did somebody really think that this would work, at least for any length of time? So, Harriet, thanks for sending it. This is a press release directly from the Attorney General's office. Philadelphia used car salesman charged with stealing over $2.5 million from customers who sought wheelchair-accessible vehicles. Now, $2.5 million is a lot of money. So you go, wow, see, that's a lot of money. Must have been a lot of vehicles. How did the scam work? Was this like a a criminal genius at work? No. This is a scam that is bound to fall apart. And so people who would do this either ain't thinking very clearly or or just need the money so badly they don't care. I need the money now. I don't care if I get caught and get in trouble down the road. I'll deal with that later. So United States attorney announced that a man who's 47 years old in Philadelphia was arrested and charged by indictment on charges of mail and wire fraud for conducting a non-delivery sales scheme in which he accepted payment for, but failed to deliver, automobiles to approximately 120 people. So they contact him and say, I understand you've got this vehicle for sale. He says, yes, I do. And they'd send him money, and he would not ever send a car. So the indictment alleges that this happened over a four-year period. He obtained used vehicles from auctions and then listed and advertised them for sale on the internet. You go, but I've heard of that before. That's a common business practice. The majority of vehicles sold by him to victims were accessible vehicles equipped for wheelchair users or people with disabilities. Despite signing bills of sale for the vehicles and accepting payment, he did not deliver the vehicles as agreed upon. In total, he defrauded approximately 120 victims across 36 states and caused losses exceeding $2.5 million approximately two-thirds of his victims were persons with a physical or mobility disability, persons of, over the age of 65, or businesses which provided transportation services for those populations. Now, again, you're saying, but Steve, I, I, I don't quite get what he's doing here that you find so strange, because says here he buys them at auction, he sells them, and once in a while he doesn't deliver one. What's, what's the problem? What's the snag? <laughs> On more than one occasion, he sold the same vehicle to multiple customers. That's your problem. If I sell you a vehicle, someday I might deliver it to you. If I sell you a vehicle and you a vehicle and you get a car and you get a car, only one of those people can be happy. Every other one of them is going to be upset and call somebody, A.G., the police, somebody, right? So you can can only sell a car to one person, In theory. (laughs) So, after agreeing to sales terms and accepting payment from a customer for a particular vehicle, he continued to list, sell, and accept payment for the same vehicle again from a new victim purchaser. In one instance, he agreed to sell a particular vehicle, which was a wheelchair accessible 2017 Ford T-150 van, to 13 different buyers over an 11-month period between February 2022 and January 2023. So he promised to sell the same vehicle to 13 different buyers. Theoretically, at best, only one of them can be happy when they get that vehicle. The other 12 don't ever get anything. And the weird part is that if you bought the vehicle and hadn't gotten it yet and you went to check on the guy's website, you go, hey, it's still there. Why is it still listed for sale? And that's going to be another flag also. Despite accepting 13 payments from 13 different buyers and collecting over $260,000 for the same vehicle, he only delivered the vehicle to one buyer, and it turns out he did that with the wrong title. So the buyer who got it actually said, "Uh, didn't get a proper title, that's a problem. He failed to deliver the vehicle to the other 12 victims, obviously, who had all also purchased and paid for that vehicle. One person got the vehicle, they weren't happy. Twelve other people didn't get the vehicle and weren't happy. If convicted, he faces a maximum possible sentence of 170 years in prison, a five-year period of supervised release, a $2.75 million fine, and restitution, and forfeiture. Now, we don't know... If he worked for a dealership or if he's acting on his own, that's the one thing I don't know from this story. But of course, he is um, 47 years old, which will make him about uh, let's see, 223 years old if he gets out of prison if he serves all that time if he's convicted. Which of course he might not be because he might be innocent after trial. Uh, but then there's a five year period of supervised release at the age of 225. That's a that's a that's a that's a pain in the butt. <laughs> The case was investigated by the FBI with the assistance of the Philadelphia Police Department, Major Crimes Auto Squad, and the Pennsylvania Office of Attorney General, Bureau of Consumer Protection. The case is being prosecuted by an assistant U.S. attorney. An indictment, by the way, is just an accusation. A defendant is presumed innocent unless and until proven guilty. And I always like to point that out. So, for all we know, they may have gotten the wrong guy. Or none of this might have happened. You never know. However, um, (laughs) I've mentioned before that most states have got a thing in place for car dealers, and it is called a police book in many states. And it is the inventory system. And nowadays, it's often kept on a computer. But in the old days, it literally used to be a book, actual book, a ledger. And dealerships are required to track all of their inventory in one place, so that someone from the state can walk in and go, hi, I'm from the state, I want to see your police book. And they used to pull the book out, and they could then open the book up and see how many cars were in inventory right now. And it should show all the vehicles that were in inventory that were sold, and then any vehicle that hit the lot recently should be in that book. So someone should be able to look at that book and go, okay, you've got 14 cars in your inventory here, let's go walk the lot. And there should be 14 corresponding cars on the lot. And if there's 13, which means one got sold but didn't get recorded as sold in the police book, there's a problem. Because, of course, the state wants their money. Okay? And so the police book should be that way. So here's a problem. (laughs) Because many states also require a car dealer to do certain things upon the sale of a car. quite often it is a bill of sale and or some document that shows what the car sold for, who it got sold to, et cetera, et cetera, and for how much, and a document must be filed with the state. Now, in Michigan, it's called an RD-108, it's an application for Michigan title. It contains most of the information you find on the bill of sale, and that document gets filed with the state forthwith. And so here's the thing. If the guy's selling vehicles, and he's got a real vehicle, He can't file more than one of those documents with the state because the VIN wouldn't change. And they'd say, oh, you've already filed one on this vehicle. The second one can't make any sense. So it implies, the story does, that there may be a massive paperwork problem that's going to really look bad when they untangle it because I have actually had the opportunity before to go through the paperwork of a dealership, okay, And so many dealerships, I don't know how many people in my audience have spent much time in them, other than to simply buy a car and drive off the lot. But there's often a conference room or a big storage room or a big office someplace with a wall of filing cabinets. Now, they may have reduced some of this in the the modern era to digital type stuff, but I can tell you that for every car they sell, they create a thing called a deal folder, at least in Michigan, that's what they call it, a deal folder. And the deal folder is a folder that contains all of the documents for a sale of a car. So if, if this dealership sold a car three years ago, I can go in, go three years back in their deal folders, find the deal folder, pull it out, and it'll show everything. Uh, the VIN, make, model, all stuff of the car, the bill of sale, uh, the application for title, uh, the salesman's information, salesperson's information, uh, all the paperwork for anything else that went with the car. Everything is in that folder. Everything is in that folder, okay? So you've got one deal folder for one car. Now you're taking money on another car. Oh, wait, it's the same car. Where do you put that paperwork? Do you put the paperwork anywhere? Because failing to create the paperwork would also be a problem. And remember that a lot of times people will break the law, and I'm not saying necessarily here, just in general, a lot of times people will break the law, and then because of the law they have broken being what it is, They wind up in a situation where to correct it or to somehow get out of it, they break more laws. And so here's the thing. When you sell the car to the first person, let's assume you do that transaction perfectly. Deal, folder, documents, the state, everything. When you sell it to the second person, you charge them sales tax. If you don't, it'll look weird, right? And if you do and you don't submit the sales tax to the state, you now have a problem with the state, but you go, well, I didn't really sell a car. But did you charge sales tax? Because see, if you don't, they're going to go, well, wait, they didn't charge me sales tax. What are, what are the odds? And by the way, what are the odds some guy who's trying to rip somebody off is actually go, I'm going to charge them less. I won't charge them. No sales tax for you. So there are going to be a, 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 a lot of documents in a case like this which are going to really spell out what happened. And this is where I suspect the trial itself on one level will be fun to try because as a prosecutor or a plaintiff, when you're putting in a case, you want the case to have a little oomph to it, to, to get people's attention. And the oomph here is the fact that many of these people are older are disabled, or disabled or have some special needs that this guy claimed he was catering to. And if if he was ripping those people off, Trust me, a jury's going to get riled up about that. On the other hand, they're going to bring in some kind of forensic accountant who's going to go, yeah, I went through 14,000 documents at the dealership. Let me, let me explain to you in a slideshow what I found. And some people will find that enjoying, uh, enjoyable. Some people won't. <laughs> but we'll see if this thing goes to trial. But this is a, a pretty serious allegation because they're saying that there's 120 people out there who had paid for cars and didn't get them, and at least one of the cars was promised to 13 different people. And it was delivered to one of them. And when they got it, they said, oh, the title's wrong. <laughs> so can't do nothing right. Harriet, thanks for sending it. From the AG's office, Philadelphia used car salesman charged with stealing over $2.5 million from customers who sought wheelchair-accessible vehicles. Questions or comments, put them below. Let's talk to you later. Bye-bye. Thank you for watching Lato's Law. Comedy is simply a funny way of being serious.